From KOSU, this is Songwriters and Tour Writers. On this episode is the Lone Bellows, Zach Williams. Honey, I never call you honey. Zach Williams is the lead singer and spoke with me just before they started their first tour of 2023. Their latest album, Love Songs for Losers, was recorded in Roy Orbison's former home. And besides being a part of the Lone Bellow, Zach was also renovating a cabin in Nashville for a TV show. And finding some old burned down cabins in the woods is what kind of led to them recording in Roy Orbison's former home. You know, the chimneys are still standing and there's this part carved in the chimney. And that's how I found out who built the old cabin. In this episode, hear him talk more about producing their own album, going back on tour, and what it was like recording in that house. My name is Zach Williams. I'm the lead singer of a band called The Lone Bellow. Yeah, how are things going? Pretty good. I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee, getting ready to go on tour. Yeah, it starts in just a few days, right? Yeah, we leave. Uh, bus leaves Wednesday night. How do you usually feel around this time? I usually feel um, pretty excited with a mixture of nervous. It's funny. You'd think after doing this for a decade that I wouldn't get nervous anymore, but I really do. I start trying to figure out what kind of clothes I should pack for, and I just turn into this like high school kid that's never left home before. You know, this time's a, especially fun because we're just driving. We're we're touring all through Texas, and then and then it takes us all the way up through California, and um. We're just going to be in the mountains a lot, and this time of year, it's going to be it's going to be pretty beautiful. Yeah, when was the last time you had a chance to get out here to Oklahoma? Gosh, it's I feel like it's been a minute. Yeah, I'm pumped to get back. You guys have such a a music loving community. It's it's so fun to play there. You had mentioned uh, ten years of doing this. I think it's actually almost on the to the day since uh, your uh, debut album came out. Yeah, yeah, man. Our debut album came out yesterday, 10 years ago. And then our second album came out eight years ago today. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm so absent-minded. I wouldn't have known that unless, like, somebody told me. Did you spend any time kind of thinking back to that album? You know, I've been thinking on the first album a lot lately. And there's one part of me that's like, man, I can't believe it's already been 10 years. We've been able to do so much i mean from carnegie hall to you know several times at red rocks and opening up for robert plant to dwight yokum and it's been such a beautiful full decade And then there's another side of me that's like, man, we've been doing this for a long time. All right, we're on our 
We're on our fifth record. We finally figured out how to produce our own music without anybody's help. And uh, I feel like we're like just now reaching a new place in our kind of creative endeavor. This last record that we made, we found Roy Orbison's old house and we made it a studio. And um, this is the first record that we self-produced. It is just so inspiring being there and being right next to Johnny Cash's old burned down house and all the history just surrounding us in that haunted old Roy Orbison home. It was really inspiring. Your newest album is called Love Songs for Losers. Did you guys get that title um, after deciding to be in Roy Orbison's former home? Yeah, absolutely. We came up with that title while we were making the record there at the house. And, you know, the title is kind of a uh, if in case you feel the same kind of thing. Was there something that you had wanted to try and explore more of under your own like self-production? One of the things that we really wanted to do was um, just concentrate more on our own vocals. You would think that we would put a lot of concentration on our vocals and our records, but really what's happened in the past is you get with like a producer and they're amazing and they, they get really excited about like the instrumentation. Man, these drums are sounding so good. Let's spend six hours on this guitar tone. And then by the time it's time to lay down the vocals, like kind of out of time in the studio. And they're just like, all right, just jump in there and do whatever seems natural. Where this time we dedicated like a full week and a half to just really honing in the exact way that we wanted the songs to sound. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love with the dream. I'm in love, I'm in love, I'm in love, let me be. I love that work process. I love doing that. We wanted to just take the kind of the vibe of our live show and put that into a record rather than rather than doing that the opposite way that we had done it so much. It was great doing that. But it also took, I feel like it took some guts because, you know, when you get used to just leaning on a producer like Aaron Desner or Dave Cobb or somebody just to come in and do their thing, it's, it's reassuring. It's like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing and we're in good hands. So completely doing it yourself. That was that was a leap of faith that I'm I'm so thankful we did. You're really good at being gripped. Our fights are all about the lift. I kinda like it that way. Deeper in love every day. Yeah, I read that this is the first time uh, you had recorded with your touring band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we had uh, Julian Dorio on drums, um, and Julian's amazing. Julian is so rock and roll. He uh, he's he was in a band out of Athens, Georgia, called the Wigs, and they they toured with Kings of Leon for seven years, and. Uh, and he was the drummer for Eagles of Death Metal. He's just like from the completely different side of the music spectrum. It's so fun having him as our drummer now because he he can hit so hard, um, but he also has like a real you know sensibility about him. And then Jason Pipkin was on the bass on this one, and um, Jason just really explored some fun 
sounds that we had never really done before. Yeah, and recording in Roy Orbison's uh, former home, just what was that like? Well, um, just picture like a, probably like a 7,000 square foot cabin uh, on a lake next to next to uh, Johnny and June's house that burned down and across the street from the house where Johnny passed away. The whole house basically only had two bedrooms and everything else was like these huge kind of like party rooms. Like there was a big indoor pool and, and um, just massive living rooms. So during the day, it's really beautiful, but at night it gets, it gets pretty spooky. So yeah, the house definitely lent itself to some great just imagination. What about that space drew you uh, to think of it as a possible recording studio? Because you're also like renovating or were renovating a cabin before. So I was wondering if that kind of like influenced how you were viewing like different spaces. Well, the physical location has always been really important to me, you know, from recording at RCA, you know, where Dolly Parton recorded stuff like I Will Always Love You to recording up at Dreamland Studios in New York with Aaron Desner to making a record at Long Pond with him just a few months before he made Taylor Swift's latest record. Like physical location's always been really important to me. During uh, during the time when we couldn't tour, I uh, started doing some research on this man named Braxton Dixon. And Braxton Dixon built 55 houses in the Nashville area between the 1960s on up. He passed away about 10 years ago, but he would build all these like cabins out of old, beautiful wood that he collected from different parts of the country. And he built all these cabins from all these like for Tammy Wynette and Roy. And he was going to do one for Bob Dylan when Dylan was doing his, his Nashville stint. And he of course built many houses for Johnny Cash. And I went and found his widow and, um, she was like, he was like the Southern Grey Gardens. She was just this like really special lady. And she was the one that told me about the fact that nobody was living in Roy Orbison's. So I reached out to the owner and just pitched the idea of making music in there again. And he gave it to us. He used to make music there. Um, and you can tell like one of the bathrooms was absolutely an old vocal booth. So the house just already had so much musical history. So making it a studio again just felt like we were bringing the house back to its like natural state. Do you have a favorite Roy Orbison song? I mean, I love crying. That's probably my favorite one. Oh, you wish me well, you couldn't tell. But I've been crying over you, crying. And the story of it's pretty epic, too. Like, it didn't hit the charts until after he died. Yeah, it, it's kind of tragic, like, half of his life is very tragic to read about and it's such a shame that so much of his success happened post his death yeah i mean braxton dixon actually also built the house that his his children 
and died in the fire. And so I was like, wow, I can't believe that Roy was cool with the same builder building another house for him. And that, that house was actually, if you're looking at the house where we recorded, um, after Orbison died, Johnny Cash made that house a, uh, like a, a grove. It's set aside to honor like Roy's children. Um, still even to this day. Yeah, I, I think like half of that guy's house, a good percentage of them like burned down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whole bunch of them. That, I mean, the ones that I found out in the middle of the woods, two of them had burned down. You know, the chimneys are still standing, and there's this heart carved in the chimney, and that's how I found out who built the old cabin. And some of the locals were like, oh, yeah, Braxton Dixon always put a heart. He would hide it in the walls of the house somewhere in the chimney. It was like his like quiet little signature that he did. But yeah, I mean, if you think about the way he built it, like he would do a road trip around the country and he would build a house out of really old wood from barns and cabins that he tore down. So they were like little sitting tinder boxes. Was there anything about his story that kind of influenced how you wanted to like renovate that cabin? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love that. The cabin that we renovated, and I haven't watched the show or anything, so I can't remember what we talked about. But um, that cabin, like the the base of it, is built out of an old bridge right down the street that had fallen apart, and that's what really drew me to that cabin. Um, was just that somebody already like took a bit of the of the town's history and made something out of it. You know, ten years since the debut album. What are the next 10 years looking like, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the next the next few years are looking like um, we're definitely gonna, we're going to lean into um, producing more of our own music. I'd love to start helping out like younger people um, and help them produce their music and help them tell their story. I feel like we've been blessed with such an incredible journey of being able to do that. I'd love to turn around and help somebody else do it. Find out more about the Lone Bellows tour and latest album at KOSU.org. Songwriters and Tour Writers is a production of KOSU in the service of Oklahoma State University. Our editor is Ryan McCroy and our cover art was created by Terry Ferris. You can find Songwriters and Tour Writers wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Matthew Variapa.